That's great. That's great. Well, we are themed out South Africa. Our worship team is wearing South African or African attire. We, we have a South African video. We sent six people from Luminous to 10 days trip to Joe Berg to, to evangelize. Seven people responded to the gospel this past week. And so that's seven new people in the kingdom of God through this mission trip. Orphans got loved on and God has done incredible things. And I'm excited for the theme of this morning. We wanted to keep it in the South Africa theme. And so my very good friend who is amazing and, and my hero. The incredible South African Hulk. Give it up for Ernie Kruger. Would you stand and welcome Ernie Kruger to the stage this morning? All right. Thank you, Pastor Ben. I felt pretty awesome. You know, they used to say that before we ran out of the rugby field, I, I looked a little bit more like him now. You know, I looked like the, the Hulk that went into hibernation and discovered Twinkies and uh, fried Oreos. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's awesome. It is always a pleasure and a joy to be here with you guys. We, my wife and I um, love Luminous Church. Unfortunately, we can't be here today. So my wife can't be here today with the kids. We have a retreat coming up. So we have to divide and conquer. I've got two boys back there in, in uh, y'all's amazing childcare. Thank you, Brandy, for putting that up. Um, but I do have a picture of my wife and the rest of the fire, the, the, fire, the kids. Uh, the theme for today is fire. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But I'm going to start you with the, with the youngest, my 10-month-old, Aduli. Um, she's in my wife's arms. She is really precious. We love her. My, my, my second youngest, Karen, is my other daughter. She's three years old. And then Ezekiel is here with us today. He's in the back. And Isaiah is with me. And then my oldest son, Omalimo, is the man. He's helping mommy hold the four down, get things ready for the retreat. And then my beautiful wife, Katie. And myself, we look super happy in that photo, but we were really hot and we were faking it till we make it. I mean, it was 110 degrees at a wedding. We were like, smile, okay, run, you know, so uh, get into the AC. But anyway, that is my family and I'm so thankful. Um, Psalms 127 says that children is an inheritance and a blessing from the Lord, right? And blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Um, you know, like, or the warrior shooting them as arrows. So we do love our kids, and we're super thankful for that. South African team, thank you for serving South Africa. You've got the dress. You've got the shirts and the, and the, and the what you, whatever you call that beautiful thing you've got on. But I have the accent. You can't buy that. You can't. It takes years and years of practice to develop that one. Um, anyway, let's pray, and we'll get into the Word. Father, thank you so much for an amazing day, Lord. We are so grateful. For this Sunday, Lord God, we don't just say this out of habit, but Lord, we are so grateful that today you woke us up and you gave us new life. You gave us new breath. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to gather, but we, can, we get to. It's a privilege to gather as believers, that we get to come and be, stand boldly in your presence today, Father. Father, would you help us understand today the fact that Jesus really opened the door for us to seek you with all of our hearts. And might you fill us by the end of this moment with your fire, your consuming fire in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, I'm super excited. What I'm really excited about today is something that's been churning inside of me 
It's been, you know, the word, the term churn, it's just kind of rumbling in your soul and God speaks to you. I don't know if that happens to you sometimes. God will give me a thought and I'll go read about that. I'll go research that thought. And as I'm researching this thing, I realize, hey, God's really speaking something to me. And one thing that the Lord's really been speaking to me heavily about is His fire, that He's a consuming fire. So I titled this message, Acquiring the Fire. So acquire the fire. In other words, you can acquire God's fire. And I'm going to ho hopefully prove it to you here. Um, A.W. Tozer, any one of you guys familiar with him, is a phenomenal theologian. In fact, a self-made theologian. Never went to formal seminary, but ended up really helping. Most seminaries quote him today. Phenomenal child of God in heaven with God now. But he said that in the deep spirit of a man, the fire must glow. Talking, referencing the fire of God. His or his love is not the true love of God. Let me read that again. In the deep spirit of man, the fire must glow or his love is not the true love of God. It's incredible. And A.W. Tozer does a great job. He wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. I would really recommend that. It's a good read. I'm currently reading that book and it's kind of been helping and fueling my fire personally. You know, there's, there's a lot of books that writes about the Bible that helps us understand the Bible better. A.W. Tozer writes phenomenal books. So please make a little mental note in your notes. Go buy the book, The Pursuit of God. I think it's $9.95. It's super cheap, but it will be the best nine bucks you've spent in a very long time. But he talks about the concept of the fire of heaven needs to live inside of us. When I say the fire of heaven, I'm not talking about this miscellaneous, mystical, just fire. We talk about the actual presence of God. The Bible speaks about God's presence being a consuming fire. Now what happens sadly a lot of times, I've seen this in my own life. I've seen this in a lot of people around me. Sometimes when you look at culture, especially in the West, when it comes to Christianity, often people's hearts are as cold as the top of this microphone. In other words, they claim this Jesus that's warm, that's loving, that's forgiving, that's powerful, that the Bible describes as a consuming fire. But when you come close to them, you're like, Where's the heat? I, I don't feel this fire, right? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Your purpose as a Christian, your destiny as a Christian is not to live with a heart that's frozen over. God didn't call you to be cold. He didn't call you to be callous. There's enough of that out there. That's not who God is. In fact, if you spend time with Him, it's impossible for you to remain that way. You can't stay not on fire if the fire of God is daily interacting with you. Now what happens is there is sometimes things that interact with us that's not from God. Our passions normally indicate that. People have great passions and sometimes, I would say most of the times might be safe, if we are super honest, the greatest passions of our hearts not God. We've kind of put God on the Sunday morning box. Oh, Sunday morning, I might get a little jump on. I might, you know, lift my hand about yay high, you know. And if I'm really happy, I'll say, woo, something like that. And that's maybe the extent of the fire that, that we are comfortable with expressing. But I really want to encourage you today that, that, and this is not a message to beat you up for not having the fire of God. This is really an invitation to acquire the fire of God. God is calling us deeper as His children. God's calling us as luminous, a church, a body of believers deeper into Him. He wants to actually fill you with His fire. 
What would your world look like, your family look like, your relationships look like, your vocation, your career look like when you are filled with the fire of heaven and wherever you go, it's melting the coldness off of people. And they don't just hear about the fire theologically or even doctrinally, but they experience it. When you enter the room, you are ushering in the very essence, the nature, the fire of heaven. The moment someone interacts with you, they start doubting their doubts and believing there's a God, not just because of your knowledge, but because of the undeniable presence of God in your presence. The whole purpose of Christianity is not so we can ascribe or describe God only, but is that we can actually know Him and introduce Him personally to other people. It's the greatest privilege you would have is to know God and introduce Him to those who don't know Him yet. I remember so clearly when people introduced God to me. So see, as, as people that don't know Christ, that don't know the love of Christ, I remember so clearly, vividly, how ashamed I felt. I remember, and I've said, I might have said this before here, that I, I thought that I was disqualified from God. I thought that I have done too much wrong, that, I, that nothing could possibly cure all my evil that I've done, that nothing could stop what I've done. Until someone said to me, Ernie, there's nothing that God can take care of. If you would put your faith in Him, if you would believe in Him, if you would surrender your life to Him, He will take that which is currently destroying your life and replace that and you will be completely new and He will call you son. Now, I didn't understand that and there's a couple things I want to touch on. The first thing I want to touch on is that God's a loving God. The second thing, that He's a relational God. And the third thing is that He wants you to be filled with His fire. He wants you to acquire, if you will, His fire. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13 to see what God's love looks like. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He's correcting things that's happening in the church. People are this, this soon after Jesus' ascension. Jesus hadn't been gone very long, and they already are believing false things about him. So just imagine where we're at in 2018. Okay, you can imagine the devil has had a long time to come up with new lies and, and woven in lies and half-truths that's really a full lie, etc., etc. So Paul is writing as an apostle called by God saying, no, let me just help you understand what God's love really looks like. Okay, that's what we're seeing here. So he's speaking strong. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and tongues of angels, but I have not love. He says, I am a, a noisy gong or a clanging symbol, clinging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I'm void of God's presence, if I'm void of God's love, God's heart, if I don't have it in me, I can be so gifted, but I really am nothing. I give, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. There's nothing gained in that. Then he says this, love is patient, and it's kind, Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable and it's not resentful. It does not rejoice in what's wrong, but it rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. 
It endures all things. Love never ends. Now, I don't know about you, okay, but let me just be honest for a second. That's not really how my day goes every day, right? How often do we feel resent to maybe its worst degree? We get real, a real sense of righteous indignation at times at people that we are called to love and be compassionate towards, right? Anyone can relate with me? Am I the only one? All of us know that. How many times do we want to win the argument but really hurt the person in the process? We are unable to disengage and walk away and say, listen, I love you, man. Just forget about it. Just forget about it. You, you are more important than me winning this argument. How, 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 how just angry or how self-righteous or how unkind or impatient are we even as parents with our own kids? I feel that so much as a dad of five. I, I can't tell you the amount of times I'm like, God, I'm sorry. I mean, just... I mean, I have five kids that's constantly, dad, this, dad, this. My wife gets it even worse than I do. I mean, I get to escape from nine to five. She's there the whole time. She homeschools them, you know. And so sometimes I come home and I can tell, man, it's just been, it's been hard for Now my wife loves the Lord. She loves Jesus. She's been born again. But see, we are not like God. We fall short of this standard. So what I'm not trying to do this morning is show you your shortcoming. I'm trying to show you the love that you are loved by. I want to invite you into this love. This is the love that God has for you. He's kind towards you. He's merciful towards you. He's gentle towards you. He's forgiving towards you. When you feel like, oh, I can't access God. I can't come to God. I've got to be careful. No, 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 no. God's saying, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't close the door that I've opened. Come in. Come on in. God every day desires intimacy with you. His love is inviting you in, saying, I want to see you. I want to know you. Come read the word. Come talk to me in prayer. Go fellowship with believers. Worship me in private. I want to change you. I want to put my fire inside of you. That's every day when you wake up, His mercies are new and there's a new invitation. Every day, He never gets tired of you. God is, it's impossible for Him to get tired of us. He never is thinking like, if you do that again, over. I mean, all of us can handle it up to some point as humans, right? But God doesn't do that. His, he, his mercy is endless. His love is endless. His grace is endless to those who believe you have access by faith. That which is endless, it never ends. God can't put love down even for a second. He can't help but love you. He can't, help, he can't do anything but love you. As His child, when you wake up, you will love. When you go to bed, you will love. When you, when you fight your biggest challenges, you have your biggest, biggest meeting you're terrified of, you are so loved by Him. And He is so eagerly wanting to be involved in your life. But we shut the door on God all the time because we don't know who He is. We misunderstand Him. We believe lies about Him. We don't spend time finding out who He really is. We don't humble ourselves and ask someone, say, listen, man, I feel, I know I've given my life to Jesus, but I feel disqualified. I feel like God's mad at me. And you don't have someone in your life to say, hey, whoa, 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 where did you get that from? Where's that? Is that from the book of hesitations? Where, where's this? Where do you get that idea from? Never has God said that to you. That's a lie from the devil. 
That's demonic doctrine. And what happens, we live these lives with this, this, this literal ambiguity in our own hearts towards how God feels about us, unable to really show the world how God feels about them. Because if you don't know it, you can't give it. You can't give the love of God if you are not continually saturated, inundated, flooded, overwhelmed, overcome by the love of God. And the crazy thing is God is saying, I want to give you more. And you're like, whoa, 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 you step away from him. And this morning I'm here to say God's inviting you back. He says, come on in. Come on in. There's no sin that he can forgive. There's no wrong that he can restore. I know people in maximum security prison cells that knows God better than CEOs sitting on the 20th floor of a building. Your prison cell, your past does not define God's love for you at all. You can be the biggest adulterer or you can be the biggest prostitute. You can be the most promiscuous person. But the moment you come to him, you surrender to him, he brings you into his presence. And he says, stay with me. Stay with me. I have good things, but stay with me. In my presence, I love you. That's who God is. That's the only thing that he does to you. It says, I want to show you my love. In fact, John Piper says this, that God's most glorified in us. When we are most satisfied in Him. The greatest glory God ever gets is when a human being that He has put the breath of life inside us to gets born again and we come back to the way He made us originally and we say, wow, this is all I need. It's just you. Your love. Your presence. Your power. Because nothing else can do it. Nothing else can do it. You see, Abraham, many of us know, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had father. That's what some of us know. Some of us know a little bit more. Okay, but for all of us, Abraham was a man that loved God. God came to Abraham, gave him a promise. And back in Jewish culture, the biggest blessing, the biggest thing you could get is a son. Son meant legacy. Son meant God's favor. I mean, it was a most massive social faux pas if you, your wife was barren or you couldn't have sons. It was not a very prestigious thing. It would make China look bad. People felt worse than what people in China feel when they get a daughter. They wanted a son so bad. They wanted a son so bad because it meant so much. It meant that he's carrying my name. He's carrying my legacy. And Abraham couldn't have it. And God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Now, it's going to require a miracle, but I'm going to give it to you. And then Abraham gets the son, right, Isaac. And what becomes the pinnacle or the point of affection for Abraham shortly after the son arrives? The son. Who's moved to the back burner? His affection for God. And what did God do when God said, Abraham, I need you to go and lay down Isaac on the altar? What was God doing? Was God the father who says that he is love, that everything he does is love? Was he being mean? Was he being callous? Was he being cold? Or was he really loving towards Abraham, saying, Abraham, I want to show you that because you are idolizing the very thing I gave you, I'm going to help you and deliver you from that by showing you that you need to love me more than your very own son. And God takes him to this mountain and he lays Isaac down. Now think about this for a second. Anyone in you that's a parent, you lay your son right here. And you have a dagger that you're about to dig into his heart. And your son is laying there sobbing, weeping, saying, Dad, why 
you do this? And you, as a dad, you stand tears running down your face. Your heart is breaking in a thousand pieces. And you're standing there and you're thinking, man, God, I love God more than you are. I can't tell you how much I love you. It might not look like it, but I love God more than you. And what did God do to Abraham? He was freeing Abraham. He's saying, Abraham, you will never flourish if you love what I give you more than you love me. You will never flourish. See, even that moment, people read that, they're like, what kind of God is that? See, that's the kind of God that really loves. But you know what? That God didn't have the option of a ram in a bush. He was the ram in a bush. Years later in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is weeping. He's being torn from the Trinity because he takes the full weight of your and my sin, completely shaking. He's bleeding. He's, he's sweating blood. I mean, he is in the most amount of agony you can imagine. He's the worst you can imagine a human being can ever feel. The fullness of all of our sin, the weight of all of our sin that's ever been done, that ever will do. And then the worst of all is the separation from the Trinity. And he says, Father, may this cup pass from me. I, my flesh can't handle this, but I must do this. But your will be done. Your kingdom come. And then he goes and lays down his life. And imagine the Father in that moment and the Holy Spirit. For all eternity, they have intimacy. Not intimacy in a sexual way that we have as a husband and wife, but they are the most intimate with one another, the most amount of love you could ever imagine. Think about the strongest clique you know that seems like, man, I can never get into that clique. That clique ain't nothing on the Trinity. I mean, the love is so strong, it's so real, it's so pure. There's no vile in it. There's no sin in it. It's 100% consuming love constantly between them for all of existence. It's always been that way and it always will be that way. And all of a sudden, boom, it rips out the middle person of the Trinity. Can you imagine the pain the Father felt in that moment? It makes what Abraham felt grim. It, it makes it look like he went to Six Flags in San Antonio. I mean, just the pain. But you know what we see in the pain of God is the love for humanity. And then how dare we believe he doesn't love us. That he would go to that extent to bring us back. And then we every day disqualify ourselves. Demons tell us. People tell us. You can't enter in. You can't enter in your mind, your feelings, your emotions. And God's word said, no, 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 no. Jesus tore the veil. So you must come in. I'm sorry. You must come in. He's calling us in deeper. Intimacy. Intimacy. God's saying, come on in. Come on in, I want to show you my love and see what happens. A lack of intimacy leads to a lack of fire. You will never have the fire if you don't value being intimate with the fire. How do you catch fire? You get close to it. It's not rocket science. If I'm not on fire, I'm freezing and there's a big bonfire out in West Texas and it's cold in the middle of winter. What do I do if I want to heat up? I move closer to the fire. Now, here's what's great about God. He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. You can actually get in the fire of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in a fire. Killed everyone around them, but they were not even touched. They didn't even smell like smoke. See, God is a consuming fire, but the only thing he consumes is everything that's lying to you. So you can know who you really are. 
How liberating is it when we fully understand who we've been created to be? And see, that's the aim of God's love is saying, I want to restore you. You've been lost. You've been broken. You've been bruised. You've been lied to. And I want to heal you and restore you. But you've got to come in. You cannot say, well, God, Pastor Ben and Brandy are going in. Voltaire and Cecile is going in. Austin and his wife is going in. No, you've got to go in. You have to come in. God's saying, come on in. Look at your neighbor and say, go in. Enter in. God's calling you in. Don't make yourself so busy. Don't allow yourself to be so distracted that you forget the love of God. And the only thing you have about God is you're able to explain Him and articulate Him with eloquent words. Paul said, I'm not coming to impress you with smart verbiage even though he's got the equivalent of two PhDs he said but I'm coming with power because he interacted with the source of real power that's God himself Paul prayed Paul sought the Lord in the word Paul prayed with other believers and he was full of the Holy Spirit full of the fire of God and what happened wherever he went even his shadow would fall on him or him and Peter's shadow and things that they had would touch people and people would be touched by the power of God how amazing would it be? How awesome would it be if you are so full with God, you're so intimate with Him, you're so convinced about His love, and He's affirming you so much that wherever you go, people, when you walk past Him, they're like, what's that? When they sit and have lunch with you, they say, hey, can we do this again? I don't know what's going on, but I'm feeling something. See, what we do is we're okay with God's omnipresence, but we don't have His actual presence. We know that someone might be in this room, but we are not face to face with Him. That's what God's saying. Come on in. Come on in. But you know what we also don't believe? We don't really believe the power of the blood. We don't really believe the work of the cross because if we did, we would run in. But somehow we get convinced by the devil, by a lack of understanding, by maybe other people's judgment on you, that somehow you can't come in. Jesus said in Galatians 3, I took your curse and gave you my blessing. You have become the very righteousness of God by faith in Christ. You physically stand before God as a believer and you have no shame. None. Nyara. Nothing. In South Africa, they say, nothing, nothing, my brother. That might have been Jamaican, so I forgive me. <laughs> you can approach God's throne with boldness. What great news. What great news. It's way easier to lay down your pride and unbelief and fears and enter Him than to try and suppress Him. Trust me, it's not easy to suppress God. I believe being an atheist is the hardest thing on earth to be. Because constantly you've got to press away, push away, resist the love of God. Like, man, stop it. Get away. Constantly. That's why most, most atheists are so mad. I would be mad too if I fight God's love every day. I would. You would. Frustrated. I'm resisting the very creator. He who gave me breath. Get away from me. Get away from me. Man, I'm surrounded. Man, come on. Have you ever been surrounded by fleas or by flies? And you're like, dang it, just get away. Because God won't stop loving you. And he proved it by laying down his life for you. 
He loves you. You need His love. We need His love. America needs the love of God. Imagine all the politicians, or let's say the journalist that writes about the politicians, irrespective of which side you're on. Imagine, like this morning I walk into the hotel lobby, and I mean, it, I mean it, the world is ending, okay? I mean, it's like, it's ending. If I listen to everything I see, then the world is ending. And I thought to myself, man, listen, if the person that's so passionately ex exuding their view from their own presupposition that's maybe negative towards anything and everything in culture, if they would just get a taste of the love of Jesus. I wonder if their report would look different. I wonder if the article they would write would look different. I bet you if they taste the glory, the presence of the Lord, all of a sudden there'll be more hints of hope in their message. There'll just be hope. They, 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 would, they would see the bad but write hope. Like, why am I writing hope? Because what's happening is they've got hope inside of them. See, hope doesn't want to live out there or somewhere. He wants to live inside of you. Christ in us, the hope of glory. See, the glory of Jesus resting inside of you is maybe the only thing that someone in culture might see that might convince them that there really is a God that loves them. Saying, man, every time I'm around you, you convince me, convince me that God's real. The way you live, the way you speak, the things that happen. I know people that when I leave them, I think, wow, God. And I know people when I leave them, I'm like, oh, Lord. Which one are you? Which one do you think God created you to be? The person that just, everything out, that comes out of you is just, is vile, void of love, void of hope. Or you, wanted to, you think God designed you to be filled of love and filled of hope. And wherever you go, you provide love and you provide hope. But if you don't allow God to love on you, if you don't seek Him daily in the Word and in prayer, he will only be someone, the most you could do, the best you would be able to do is describe him theologically or explain and understand him doctrinally. But you will never really understand what he really wants. Because see, God didn't just call you to love him with your mind. He also called you to love him with your heart. If I only have professional business meetings with my wife, our marriage won't be what it's, what it's designed to be, Right? I have to connect with her in a deeper emotional level. I have to make time for my wife, for us to be really connected. It's sometimes hard to do as a man because we want to get to business. Business of finances and some other business I can't talk about right now. But the fact is that if we just meet one another on an intellectual level, there won't be much to our relationship. My kids won't see love in action. They won't experience love. They'll just see, oh, a faithful mom and dad. God didn't just call you to be, oh, another faithful Christian in the sense that you obey the law. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to commune with Him. He wants you to have relationship with Him. He desires that every day. When you wake up, He says, come on. Chase, come on. Chase, come on in. Chase, I opened the door. I tore the veil. Come on in. That's what God's saying every day. But what do we feel? Dang it. I, man, you know, yesterday I had that business meeting. That one guy said something he shouldn't have said. I kept quiet. Now I feel guilty. 
okay, Lord, please help me in this day. Right? Right? Isn't that true, Chase? Am I, am I lying? We feel, we feel ashamed. What did Adam and Eve do? What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? What happened all of a sudden? They ran from God. They ran away from His presence. Every day they were hanging with Him every single day, having like this real conversation with Him. And then all of a sudden, whoa, God, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're running. What happened? Sin pushed them away. But what did God do? He kept on pursuing them. Hey, hey, whoa, 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 where are you going? Adam, Eve. When you run out the door in the morning at 8.30 trying to get to your first meeting. Hey, 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 John. Hey, James. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hey, I love you. And the, the best memory of God's love we have is about 10 miles behind. Because we run so fast. We run so fast. So we know He loves us. But we don't feel the love. And someone that knows it and someone that feels it, they respond differently. My kids know I love them, but every so often I have to pick them up and, I mean, just give them some serious sugar. Man, I love you. My boys, I'll rough them up and give them about seven kisses in the process and tickle them and bite them and wrestle them. And, man, I love you. Buddy, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad I'm your dad. You're a great son. You're the best son. You're, you're awesome. And all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, knowledge is hitting them in the heart and they just feel full. They get up like, yeah, I'm his son. They just, they interact with one another different when I affirm them, when I speak to them, but it happens in really close proximity. You can't learn how to love God at a distance. You can't learn how to love God at a seminary. It happens in private. You got to come in. Jesus opened the door not for you to stand on the outside, to come in. Come on in. I'm talking, come on in. God's calling you in. He's so relational. I've got to wrap this up quick before Pastor Ben shoots me on the knee. Listen, God doesn't just love us, but He's also relational. How many humans love having no relationship in their life? What does psychology show us or prove to us about people that have no affectionate relationships in their life? Especially with all the school shootings happening, with things happening. You are unhappy and dangerous for society if you don't have other healthy relationships in your life. You were made for relationships because you were made in the image and in the likeness of God. So He loves you and wants a relationship with you. God, He wants to spend time with you. Formally, sometimes, I mean, I drive in my car sometimes and I have the best conversations with the Lord. I, I go lock myself in some private room somewhere that's safe, okay, not just some random room, you know, controlled environment, and God meets me there, but I have to lock out life to get to Him. Sometimes it's a fight to get in. I'm not fighting Him to get in. I'm fighting everything trying to stop me from getting in. There is spiritual forces trying to keep you out of the presence of God every day of your life. Every day of your life. And what we do is we start giving in to that. And we know that by virtue of us not entering in. Because we know God called us in. He said, I want to know you. I want to be known to you. Come seek me. And you'll find me, Jeremiah 29, 11, From the earliest 
information we have, the earliest documents we have, when God started forming a people, He said, listen, I have great plans for you. Not just average, not just okay, phenomenal. Better than you can dream up yourself. That's pretty amazing, okay, because I've got crazy dreams. He says, therefore, seek me, only come, seek me, run after me with all of your heart, with all that's within you. Seek me. Now, Chase, I'm going to need you. I'm going to need another big guy real quick up on the stage. Now, y'all stand right there. I'm going to demonstrate something. Chase, come on. Who else is over 200 pounds? Come on up. All right, all right, okay. Woo. Man, now that's the Hulk. Look at those calves right there. Okay, now you guys... I'm going to stand right here, about two feet apart, facing me, facing me. Here we go, right there. A little bit over, Chase. Now, in between Chase and your name is Stephen, there's a gap, okay. I play professional rugby. My job, I was being paid. My teammates relied on me to break open the gaps, to hit the gaps, to run open arms and shoulders. That's what they paid me to do. That was my job. That's what I trained for. Now, I haven't eaten nearly as many Twinkies at that point as I have now. So don't think, I'm not thinking I can really do this right now. But I want to demonstrate something. So here I am in unbelief. Here I am in sin. Here I am in shame. Here I am in guilt. I hear God calling me. Jesus opened the door for me. But what's trying to stop me is the adversary, the enemy, the accuser of the brain room. Because you listen, you're, 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 the Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. But it's against rulers and principalities. Your wife is not your enemy. Your kids are not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. The devil has been and always will be your enemy. He's trying to stop you from experiencing the love of God and having relationship with God, even as a believer. Now, if I, I weigh 240 pounds, okay? 244.6 to be exact. Okay? So 240 just sounds better. Okay? Now... If I decide that I want to get to the other side, these guys have been assigned by an evil dude to stop me, to do everything they can to stop me. They say, you don't let Ernie through. Because if Ernie gets on this side right here, on that side, see, Chase already is listening to the devil. So <laughs> you, that side right there, then, you ha then we have no chance. He will see what's really going on. We've got to create confusion. We've got to create lies. We've got to keep him in this web of lies so he doesn't know God. Because if he knows God, he's going to work for God and then we lose. Every day that's happening in the heavenly realm. It's true. I promise you. Now, if me, the believer, redeemed by Jesus, filled by the Holy Spirit, sanctified, God's with me. I've got some other believers with me. And, and all of a sudden, I say, you know what? I want to access God's presence. And you think I'm going to get through like this? Y'all got to stop me. Well, can I really get through like this? No. These guys will stop me. That's normally our attempt to encounter God in the morning. That's about how much effort we put in. Oh, I think God's mad at me. Pastor Ben, would you pray for me? I think God's, I think he doesn't like me. Okay. <laughs> Have you really sought him? Now, and my job, if I really wanted to break the defense and penetrate the defensive line, you know what I had to do? I couldn't be double-minded. I had to decide. I ran a 4-3-40 in my heyday. I had to run as fast as I can. And I had to run into this gap to even have a slight chance to make it. And then I would make it and I would do my job. 
okay? The enemy would lose, I would win. Now here's what you have as a believer. It's you, it's the Father, it's the Son, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the body of Christ, it's the prayers of the saints. That's going, it's going, it's going, it's going. Boom, nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you. The only thing that stops you is your decision not to enter the presence of God. It's the only thing that's stopping you from entering God's presence is your lack of deciding. Or it's you believing lies. Let's stand together as we close. I wrote this down. I think this might be helpful. It says that your best and purest person can only be realized when the all-consuming fire of God burns inside of you. We'll read that again. Your best and purest person who, you've, who God made you to be can only be realized when the all-consuming fire, which is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, burns inside of you, burning all the impurities of the heart only for you to see what you were created to be. You've got to enter in. You've got to let the fire of God come in. Let me ask you this. Let me, let me, I'm going to read one more thing and then I'm going to close with this. I believe the greatest poverty is a, that a man can experience is a life void of God and His presence. You can have all the riches in the world. All of it. You can have mansions. You can go on the most elaborate vacations. But if you're void of the presence of God, you're a poor man. You're so poor. And a poor man can be rich. A man that has no ability to even fly on a plane or live in a house that he even really likes can be so full, can be so rich. Not just now, but for all eternity. Not of God's omnipresent, but as God is everywhere but God's manifest presence. That's poverty. Having a spiritual poverty that will last for all eternity. See, that's the saddest thing about spiritual poverty is about not knowing Christ. Is that for all eternity, you'll be in a state of utmost despair and poverty. Spiritually. See, what in this world, what we highlight is the riches of this world, yet it doesn't go with us when we go on. But what God offers is so much greater. It's so far greater. So if you don't know Him, at the, end of this, at the end of this moment, I want you to make your way forward. And allow God to break spiritual poverty off of your life. And fill you with the eternal riches that comes only by faith. But I want to read this too to close. Because there's other people in this room too that needs a moment with the Lord. There's a guy, Frederick William Faber, or Faber, whichever you want to pronounce him. Lived from 1814 to 1863. He was about 49 years old when he died. He was a British theologian and a hymn writer. And he wrote this, and I quote, Eternity will not be long enough to learn all that he is, talking about the Trinity, or to praise him for all that he has done. Eternity is not long enough to, to really understand the magnificence of God. And understand who He is. And, and it's also not long enough to praise Him and be thankful and grateful for what He has done for us. Because see, when you enter the gates of eternity and you understand that this is forever. And you have Him forever. You are in heaven with Him forever. That's when your praise 
goes up a little bit. You can't imagine how you will praise him then. Like it's, it's going to be incredible. Multitudes that no one can number. And you're going to burst out of yourself to say, thank you so much. Thank you that you made a way. He wants to fill you with his fire. Do you have the fire of God? God's inviting you to himself. He said, come and taste and see that I'm good. Let me fill you with my fire. So I want to challenge you today, Luminous. I really do. I want to challenge you today to say, you know what, Ernie? I, I don't have that fire inside of me. You might know the Lord, but you need to acquire heaven's fire. Come on up. Let's come on forward. We're going we're gonna to pray together, and we're going to ask God to fill us with his fire. Just right now, make your way forward. I need God's fire. Come on. I need the fire of heaven. I can't not have God's fire. I'm not seeking Him like I need to. By attempts are weak at best. I know He wants to show me His love more. I know He's a more intimate God that I'm allowing Him to be in my life. I, I'm not pursuing Him in the Word. I'm not pursuing Him in prayer. I'm not pressing in. I want it. I want God's fire in my life. I, want to, I don't want to be void of His fire. I want to be void of that what's against His fire. I want the fire of God to consume anything inside of me that's not from Him. Your breakthrough is in His presence. And right now, I'm not inviting you to come to God looking for something other than Him. Looking for a promotion or looking for a blessing. I'm saying come and find Him. Come and seek Him. This is about you being filled with His fire. And right now, just say, God, I repent. Just start repenting for things that's stopping you from entering His presence and experiencing the fire of heaven. Whatever it is that's holding you back, whether it's lies, whether it's fear, if it's bad relationships that you need to get out of, if it's bad friendships, if it's just illegal things, whatever it might be, just lay it down and say, God, I'm coming into your presence, God. And I want your presence more than anything else. There's nothing, nothing that's important to me as you, not even my children. You are more important, not even my wife or my husband. You are the most important. 